Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned into the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and I am coming at you with another part of our Top Producer series. And I have with me in the studio office, Loan Officer Extraordinaire, Top Producer, seven years in a row, President's Club member for his mortgage company's Presence Club, which is a top producer achievement, Eric Cotter. Eric, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come hang with us and um, you know go back and forth and uh, talk shop a little bit. Dustin, I've been looking forward to this all week. It's no time out of my schedule to come and be with you on this type of a podcast. What a, what an incredible experience! I'm looking forward to it, man. Wow, this should be a fun at, day. I've never yeah. done this before, and I'm excited. I hear all about Joe Rogan, and now I'm hearing about you. So yeah, there you go. Yep, first yeah, it I got to get in on this. I got to get on this the Spotify IPO thing. And, yeah, first it was Rogan, then it was Dio in that order. Yeah. Hey, the rest of you guys and girls out there, you don't mean a thing. It's no. either Rogan or Dio, at least yeah. according to Eric Cotter. I cleared my schedule, my friend. I definitely appreciate it. So Eric, you and I have known each other for the past seven, nine, nine years, nine years, nine years going on 10 years. We have the luxury of working together. So, um, you know, like a previous guest we had, I was, I was happy to know that a, I had a top producer that was literally about a 20 second walk down the office, uh, which makes it convenient because we're still operating in a little bit of a COVID type world. So, sure. you know, getting uh, people into the, uh, the, the home office in order to sit down in the studio and, and to wrap back and forth and to, to share, secrets and 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 motivations isn't the easiest but it's convenient when there's someone like yourself just down the hall and i can say hey Mm -hmm. eric i need a favor can you come some time and like you said you've been looking forward to it all week so here we go um so hold on one second yes what's covid what are you yeah (laughs) what are we talking about here yeah covid (laughs) sars uh the the, the sars epidemic yeah it's kind of been a hot topic in our country in the world since about february or march okay um yeah here we are july august and uh yeah it's still going on i'll have to turn on the news when i get home then yeah you'll have to you've you've had your face so buried in the keyboard and into all three of your monitors and into encompass originating loans, helping families uh, achieve the dream of home ownership. You just haven't been able to check it out. No. I, some people had their work hours cut and were applying for forbearance on their mortgages, but I didn't know what they were talking about. So. Oh, well, there you go. Well, yes. Um, not time for this show, but maybe when we turn All off right. the cameras and we cut off the mics, we can kind of wrap a little bit about uh, COVID, the coronavirus, and uh, what's been happening. Fair enough. But what I want to do uh, today and is, is I want to – exploit your heart and soul. Okay. okay. And, and I say that because you're a top producer and you've been actually a part of so many top producer panels in your career because you are an expert at what you do and you, you, uh, um, uh, operate at a high level, a, a level that puts you in the top 1% of all loan originators nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, but it hasn't always been that way. And, and I would like to believe that as a business professional, regardless if it was mortgage or anything else, some of the characteristics or qualities that you bring to the table day in, day out, you are going to be successful in just about anything that you did in life. I want to tap into that a little bit. I okay. want to, for the benefit of the audience, um, I want to dive deep less into what helped Eric Cotter become a great mortgage professional, but more into what has helped Eric Cotter become a great business professional. Okay. Now, along the way, I'm sure we're going to touch on some some tips and tricks or suggestions for other mortgage professionals that are more tactical that you have uh, honed along the way and, and help, ha- helped you achieve your goals. Um, but 
you know, if, if I looked at your career and I wanted to paint a picture for the audience, you entered the mortgage business about 2000, right? Year yes. 2000. Um, you were in the subprime arena for a bit mm -hmm. until the subprime arena went, went away, right. which allowed you to ride one high up and then had a crash coming down. Correct. You got to ride a, a refi wave, uh, probably 03, 04. You saw a, a, a big surge in business, and then you kind of saw the business dissipate. Exactly. Uh, then you, you rode the wave of, uh, I call it easy documentation financing, where you could do a million-dollar loan as long as the person had a 700 credit score and a pulse. Um, and uh, you know, along the way, you, you achieved a lot of financial success, and then you saw it evaporate. And you achieved financial success and watched it evaporate. But... About seven years ago, you turned this corner mm -hmm. that is just amazing to see for any business professional where you somehow figured out how to get rid of those ebbs and flows. Mm -hmm. And your tra trajectory has been one in which it's a steady climb. Um, looking back seven, eight, maybe even as long as nine years ago, what would you attribute uh, a change? It could be a change in business philosophy, a change in mentality, uh, or a change in approach that allowed you to get away from those roller coaster years or what ended up being almost decade and into the, the, the current decade that you've been on, which has been a, a solid upward tra trajectory. Okay. Gosh, going back 20 years, this is a, try to put this in a little 20 minute nutshell here, but I, I think honestly, looking back on it, Dustin, I think that the first seven, eight years in the mortgage career, I was just unappreciative of the money or the income I was making. I didn't really feel that I was working so hard to achieve the success that I had to where it really uh, was you know, embedded in me um, that I may just be riding some some wave. I just It was coming a little too easy for me, if that makes sense. I mean, the refis were, were pretty easy. Um, you know, then the no-doc loans and the stated income and like you said, million dollar, you know, construction perm loans on stated income with interest reserves built in and whatnot. I, and I was younger, of course, too. I was 28 to, to you, know, you know, young 30s, and I, I was making good money, but I don't realize, I, I don't think I realized that um, the money I was making was probably almost too good to be true. Um, so when it did finally come to an end in 08, 09, um, you know, obviously it hit me hard. And uh, like it, many others, yeah, and it, and it, yeah, so we don't need to go there, but it, it changed my life, certainly. You know, uh, with the crash of the industry and everything that surrounded it, I certainly thought my days in this business were done. And then, quite frankly, I tried to do everything in my power to get out of this business because that was the business that you didn't want to be in anymore. You know, I tried sending my resume out to medical device sales uh, recruiters or pharmaceutical sales or getting into insurance or something to that effect. And um, quite honestly, nobody even would look at my resume because it had mortgage on it. Yeah. So roadblock, dead yeah, end, roadblock. So, yeah. So went through some hard knocks, you know, you know personally during 08 to, to 2010, um, you know, financially and otherwise, you know, I was a father uh, to my to my son, Jake, who's now 12. But I remember coming in here about nine and a half years ago, almost 10 years ago now that I've been at Waterstone and uh, just kind of had a different mindset that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give this thing a shot, uh, you know, another try. So what's changed for me to get back to your question is that I knew going into this, I needed to reinvent myself. I knew the world was different. I knew I was coming into it when people were exiting 
And I knew that if I was going to have a go at it, I, I was smart enough to know it's a good time. You know, when people are running and you get in, and if you can make it work, then you're going to be there in, to enjoy the fruits of your labor down the road. Well, yeah, that's. Um, I know you're, I shows with the audience, because yeah. the audience doesn't know you as well as I do. You are a, I would call you successful. Like, I look up to you when I watch what you do with um, your personal investments. Okay. Right? You're a savvy investor, and you just use an investment term that I don't know if you meant to, but I want to come back to it, which is when others are running is mm-hmm. when you want to go in. Yeah. Right? When others are going in is when you want to get out. So you, you saw a moment where it was almost a moment of clarity in your career where others were running from the business, which a light bulb went out and said, wait a minute, this might be the time for me to get in. But when, when you're going to get in, you're going to get in the right way. Right. Not saying that the way you got in in 2000 versus 2010, the 2000 way was the wrong way. It was just an uneducated way where you didn't have the experience or the chops to understand that. Um, riding waves and mm-hmm. making easy money wasn't um, long term. It wasn't going to be uh, sustainable. It wasn't. Right? Like you were talking, and I started thinking, I'm like, hey, JC's going to want to put this on a, right. a, a funny uh, Instagram clip. But if it's easy, be queasy. Right? If something is easy in life, if it's easy in business, your stomach should be turning. Right? You should have a queasy feeling like this isn't right. Right? right? And learning from you was, it's just that, like, yeah, in 2000, it was great. I was doing these subprime loans and then shit, subprime went away. Or then I started making a bunch of money doing refinances and shit, rates jumped up and I quit doing refinances. Then it was like, oh, I was really big doing this type of product until, oh shit, the market crashed, that product went away. Mm-hmm. And every time it was like this easy success, but then a crash back down to earth. Easy success, then a crash back down to earth. In 2010, you said, no more easy. Right. And had a moment of clarity. Your success and investment taught you, and I think you probably got this from Warren Buffett, when others are, are fleeing, you it's actually when, when others are buying, you should be selling. When others are selling, right. you should be buying. Yeah, people were getting out of the mortgage business. You thought, what a great time to get in. And it, it proved to be right, mm-hmm. but it wasn't easy. No. So what, what got you through it not being easy? Because previously, you only did easy until you, re- you realized, well, easy didn't quite work out. Was there a, a, a mental uh, switch that flipped for you? Well, you know, honestly, I liked the fact that it wasn't easy. I started to feel more and more confident about myself because when it was too easy, anybody could do this business. You know, it really upset me. And I think that was part of the downfall that anybody could go out and get a broker license in a weekend and make a hundred grand yeah. within the first six months. And I knew that when I came back, it was going to be different. I remember my first week in here, I had you come in my office. I said, Dustin, can you show me uh, what DU is? Yeah. And can you give me the basic parameters of FHA and conventional? Because I had no idea. I never ran DU in my life. So for for those that don't um, work in the mortgage profession uh, full time, um, to to say run DU or run LP, that's like the most basic functionality of what a loan officer has to do just to pre-approve a borrower. So what Eric's explaining here is that although he was in the industry for 10 years, the way that he operated for those 10 years, you necessarily didn't have to understand or master the basics or the principles uh, because there were maybe easier ways to do things and those ways are no longer available. So now in order to be successful, you're going to have to go back to the basics and actually become proficient at the basics. Yes, yes, sir. You hit hit the nail on the head. I mean, 
in my previous life, it was a lot of portfolio loans where Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac weren't even involved, yep. for example. So coming here was was real lending. And as hard as it was to get started from scratch, because I didn't have a database really, I'd, I had been out before I got back into the business for at least two and a half years. And, you know, really the business I was doing in the past was no longer relevant to what yes. I would be doing going forward. So those contacts that I might have had were, were not really contacts. So it really was starting from scratch, but I, I found myself in a position to where I felt that my educational background, my insurance background from FSU, I had a degree in risk management insurance. Um, I thought that that would play more favorably to someone like me because I knew it wasn't going to be as easy as somebody just coming in and go, hey, I want to do mortgages anymore. So I fed into the fact that it was difficult. And I still do to this day, 10 years later, because these loans are not easy. And because there is a level of education that is involved to be in this business now, and you have to learn and know guidelines and parameters and, um, you know, different... Lots of rules, yeah. lots of regulation, um, thousands of pages of rules. Certainly. And and red tape that, that needs to be navigated. Yeah, and in particular, my book of business, which is another... another perhaps topic, but you know, the bottom, no, let's, let's roll but quick. the bottom line is, is it's, it's not easy. So I, I, I thrive on the fact that I know that I can do this business very well and it's not for the masses anymore. What? It, it's more difficult. It's challenging and it, and it takes effort and education and guidance and persistence and belief and confidence in yourself to do it. Uh, it, it really does. And if, if you don't have that, you're not going to succeed. Yeah, so you were a competitive swimmer your whole mm-hmm. life, earned a uh, athletic scholarship to Florida State to swim, right? Right. You still today swim competitively, correct? Yes. I keep on trying to ask Eric <laughs> to uh, get in the pool with me and teach me how to swim. He won't until I reach a certain level. He tells me mm-hmm. I need to be able to swim a mile on my own in open water. Then he'll be willing to teach me everything he knows. So uh, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm going to get there one day, and you're going to take me to Lucky's Lake, and then Deal. you're going to teach me everything that you know. Um but out of curiosity, you know, looking back, I mean, so many people would have would have looked at, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing, even though I have 10 years experience and I have to memorize these guidelines and I have to rebuild and I have to go out there and network. Why, why did you make it and so many others aren't able to? Like what what is it about Eric Cotter that that allowed you to not give up? Well, not to be cliche, but I do think a lot of it is to has to do with what I went through in 08, 09, okay. 10, like a lot of people. And you can imagine the financial hardships um, being at rock bottom yeah. without getting into detail than just imagine it being there. And I didn't have a choice. I, you know, I'm a father now and um, I, I just I, I knew I had to be driven in order to make this work. Yeah. Is that that mama mentality? Yeah. And. You know, I, I was ready for the next chapter of my life, and I just was not going to fail. And I still, to this day, I, I, I carry that to me with this. You know, I carry that with me to this day. And, so, and, and, so, so interesting. I'm asking this question because it came up uh, on the 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 last series we did, where we interviewed a top producer. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you're more afraid of failure, and you're driven by that fear of failure, or are you so driven for success that you're driven by success? It's uh, off the top of my head, I'd, I'd say 50 50. Okay. I, th- I think it's an equal play. Yeah. It, it's, I don't think there's a failure. I think it's probably less failure at this point. Okay. Because you know, I think that I have succeeded um, beyond what I ever thought um, would happen in this business. You know, but now I know that 
this, you know, the world is still my oyster. It, in this business, you, I can still make it what I want. I can still grow if I want to. Um, so I don't think that there's a way I could call myself a failure, even though I know that if I drop my business by 50%, I would be upset with myself and then start to get worried. But I think historically, I mean, over the last 10 years that I've almost been here, I, I can't see how it would be considered a failure, even if I have some downturn. So at this point, I'm driven by success. And just to finish out my career, next five or six years, whatever it's going to be, you know, on, you know, on a good note. And so that, that's what drives me now. How about this? In, in your early years, looking back, mm-hmm. um, and your early years can be just 10 years ago, right? Because I, I, I love studying your career. And I love teaching your career to others because there really are like two chapters. There's Old Testament, yep. there's New Testament, right? Old Testament was, and there's many originators and many salespeople, right? There's many professionals, regardless of which industry they work, that that tend to chase versus build. Okay. Right? So so for you and your 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 career path has been mortgage, right? But your career path could have been insurance. It could have been uh, real estate investments. It could have been law. Right? There's so many things you could have done that were outside of mortgage. Mm-hmm. You just took your talents to the mortgage arena. Right. But New Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament was the guy who who chased opportunities based on which way the wind blew. And then there's New Testament is the guy that that came in and said, okay, what is the route that's going to allow me to be successful for the longest period of time and the, be the most, the, the least disruptive, even if it's going to be the, the, the longest to build, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it create, it, it requires a foundation. So when I ask this question, you can either go back 20 years to like the Eric Cotter in 2000, or you can do the Eric Cotter in 2010. Um, but, if you had a chance to sit yourself down and give yourself one or two just words of wisdom based on your experience, what would you pass down to yourself? Yeah, I, mean, I, I guess on that topic, I could go back 20 years because I know the first seven or eight years in this business, I did chase product. And if it went away, I'd be the first one to look for a lender that had the product. Uh, especially at the beginning of the meltdown when everything was changing so rapidly and you know, looking back, you didn't really know what was going on in the big picture. You just knew that, hey, my lender's cutting back a little bit, but this lender's still saying they're not. Well, you go over to that lender, and two weeks later, they're cutting back also. So that was something I never wanted to experience again because I know that my resume was a mess when I came here um, with the, the places I had been. And so I, your, your early advice would be don't chase product. Don't chase. And, and I took that um, to heart when I started at Waterstone. Admittedly, the first year and a half to two years – was a little difficult because, you know, there are certain things that I wanted to do to serve buyers or connections that I was um, prospecting to where we didn't have the product to deliver. Um, we don't get into, have to get into the particular different programs, but my first instinct was, oh my gosh, Waterstone, we can't do this, or I can't do this, and maybe this isn't the place for me. I'm gonna, and, I, and then I, I remember instinctively talking to myself internally um, that, you know what, don't, you got to resist that urge to go jump to someone who is doing it because of what I had been through in the past. So I just put, I just kept putting my head down and I realized that I can't be the all end all and the one stop shop for every buyer out there. You're never going to be if you land in a place that you are the all end all to everything and you can take on any loan, then God bless you. Yeah. You're also a unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I uh, just kept my head down and focused. I, I, I still, true to myself, went after things that other people would typically run for. I went, I go after harder type loans. I go after construction to perm business. I go after builders. When I first came to Waterstone 10 years ago, builder was like a foreign term around here. And construction perms, per the CEO's lips to mine, were we're never going to have a CP at Waterstone, which was disheartening. But I didn't leave. I stayed. We didn't have a CP, which is a construction to perm loan. Um, it's a type of product that allows someone to build their own right. home. Right, from versus, the ground up. From the ground up versus buying a home that's already built. Yeah, so I, I guess getting back to that, I there were things I couldn't do here that I wanted to do, and I still stayed focused. I went after hard loans with builders, new construction, which was still kind of new around here nine years ago. I mean, it, it, it just was. The concept was a little bit different, you know, could it took a little bit of effort from corporate and ops and closing department to get on board with, you know, the delivery and the, the process of, of new construction. It's a little bit of a different animal. So anyways, the point is I've always run to uh, more difficult challenges to where other folks, maybe it wasn't as crowded because I knew it was difficult and it yeah. wasn't as crowded for that reason. And I have found all my success in that niche. Yeah, no, It's you... all turn downs. It's all builder business. It's all construction of perms. It's all everything. I didn't want to go into Winter Park where everybody was going after conventional loans and FHA loans. And I just, I built my entire career about not doing that. Yeah, no, I, I was going to gonna uh, circle back and reiterate. You, early on in your career, made a conscious decision that you were going to be smarter. You're going to be more researched. You're going to be better read than the average loan originator. You are going to outthink them. Right. And it's as we were talking about on an, a previous episode where, you know, talent can only get you so far. Mm -hmm. At some point, you have to outwork, you have to out hustle. And for some people, outwork, out hustle means if the average loan originator needs to make 10 sales calls to build one relationship to get one referral, then I'm going to do 100. Mm -hmm. And that's one way. Your way wasn't necessarily that, it was more of a, if the average loan originator gives up after five minutes, I'm not going to give up until after 30 minutes. I'm going to to flip every rock. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, to, to cut down every tree that I need to to find that guideline that allows me to do what someone, including my underwriter, right, says I can't do. Right. Um, and that is... You know, to me, anyone listening and hearing your story or, you know, I had the luxury of knowing you uh, as a friend, as a colleague. Um, so, you know, I can tell your story. And I, by the way, I tell it all the time to people because it's very impressive that that was your niche. You found that although early on in your career, the, the, the Old Testament, the first edition, you were niching it. Mm -hmm. um, but this you're still niching it, but you found a niche that won't go away. Right, you found your your niche is just being smarter. It's being better researched. It's being more well read. When I hear you talk about structuring a loan to to qualify versus the average loan officer, it's the difference between sitting down with a brain surgeon and having a conversation versus sitting down with maybe a doctor who's a who's a general practitioner. Right. Right. Because you don't you don't go to your to your brain surgeon for your annual physical. Just like you don't go to your general practitioner for brain surgery. You are the brain surgeon who happens to also be able to do annual physicals. Yeah, right? And that served you well. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. 
I'm doing a few refis now, which, you know, I'm 99% purchased for the last 10 years I've been here. Most people are, but now I think there's a little bit more of a skew with the market doing, with the rates being where they are. So I do have some refis, refinances in my pipeline now, and some of them are so easy. <laughs> You're I, don't know, to, easy I don't know what to do with them. I'm, I'm like, wait, there's got to be a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 800 credit score, 70% loan to value, 28% debt ratio, W-2s, and I'm, I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, because your so your niche has been doing the loans that so many of the loan originators can't figure out. So I could do a hundred of those a month. Yeah, <laughs> I mean now I see how people can do some numbers because if you are in that game and God bless you, I wish I, I do wish I would have that. Um, that would be nice, but that hasn't been my mantra or, or my go to. But it's just kind of funny. I've got these few loans in there now, like four or five that are so easy. I don't even have to. It's just don't even have to touch them, and it's. They, Compared they to what I normally do, I, I, I do do some very, very difficult loans. Um, but that, that takes a lot of, and I, it challenges me. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you that because you know, from a from a listener taking notes right now, right, and you want to study the success of, of Eric Cotter. I mean, Eric Cotter's in look, he's the top one percent in in his in his uh, industry in terms of production. He's top top one percent in the income that he earns. Right. He's one of few people that I personally know that has no mortgage because he paid it off. Right. These are awesome feats and goals that he's been able to accomplish because of his mindset, because of his drive, because of his work ethic, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He's not just a lucky, good looking guy. There's also substance behind it. Um, but shit, I forgot where I was going with this. What did you say before I started giving you all the compliments for being awesome? You were talking about that I pride myself on structuring difficult deals and using education because you you can do a lot of loans that are fairly simple and not need to know too much about in-depth guidelines but easier said than done 90 percent of the business is not like that um and i and i guess mine in particular you know because of the niche that i've gone after it, it really has challenged me and um you know, instinctively has forced me to learn how to do this business. Um, whereas if they were all cookie cutter loans, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know half the things that I know about this business now. That, uh, I, I've learned a lot. I, 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 when, when calls come in based on the hundreds and hundreds of deals that I've done that have been declined by other lenders, yet I'm still able to do them in Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac conventional, um, yeah, meaning they, conventional or they FHA. meet guidelines, just your average originator doesn't know the guidelines the way that, that you do. Yeah, we dive deep. Yeah. You know, Ben Davis, God bless him, and, and me, and um, we, we go deep. We we find a way to yes. Uh, I feel that I'm pretty well-versed in structuring very difficult deals, um, and that's, you know, that's no, it's that, worked for me. So th- That was the point I was trying to make is that, you know, a, a lesson that the the viewers or the listeners can take from this mm-hmm. is that regardless of your profession, what has worked for you is you ran towards what so many others were running from, right? We talked about it early on in this in this episode, talking about you ran towards the mortgage business when you saw others were were getting away from it, but then once you started your restarted your career, you started looking at the loans that were being turned down. Mm-hmm. And you and you wanted to run towards those. Other people were saying, "No, I don't want to touch that. That seems too hard. I don't think that can be done." Right. And you said, "Let me find a way to yes. Let let yeah. me take a second look. I'm not promising anything, but 
where someone else might have spent five minutes, I'll spend 30 minutes. Yeah. And you did that repeatedly, day in, day out. And as you did it, you became smarter, wiser, more researched, more experienced to where it became easier for you. Right. Right. And you, you built a career where you went from zero in production to 8 million, to 16 million, to 20 million, to 24 million, to 30 million, right? The sky's the limit. You're just scratching the surface of your career. You're at a point right now where you can take it any direction you want to go, right? You said it earlier, you may in five years decide, I want to take my production in half mm -hmm. because I want to semi-retire. But the next two or three years, you may say, you know what? I want to double my production. Um, let me ask you that. What makes someone like you who has achieved so much success, especially over the past 10 years, want more? Like what, what, what is it that motivates you today? Um, being financially secure. Okay. And, and it does, I, I do like competition. Okay. You know, I, there's, there's a couple of folks ahead of me now that I don't like. Um, <laughs> I'd like them as you, people. You like them people, but you don't like yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. You know, I just, I, I am competitive. Um, not to a point where, you know, I, I, I don't need, you know, a 10 person team and, and. You're not pushing be, your 12 year old son over so you can dunk over him. So you no, can I mean, first, first is health and family. Yeah. My son, my wife, my, my family and, and health and fitness and in conjunction with that, of course, is success. And um, I guess you just never know when it'll end. So I want to do and work as hard as I can while I can. Um, you never know when a stroke of bad luck will come your way, whether it's health related or an accident or something. So I do want to work hard while I'm able. Yeah, you're, you're you know. trying to make hay while the sun shines. Yes. And my, my mantra, my, my goal now, I just hired another person on my team um, who started this week, is to grow my business over the next two, three years from where it is. Because um, it's been pretty steady the last four or five years. So I'd like to, I know I'm leaving some things on the table. So I do want to grow before I step back. Yeah. Were you getting a little bit uncomfortable being comfortable? Right. You're, you're getting a little bit too comfortable. So yeah. you decided to challenge yourself a little bit. Yeah. I think I'm leaving some stuff on the table. Yeah. And there's no reason for me to at this point, you know, getting into, you know, you know, I guess the later stages of my career um, that uh, I, I shouldn't be leaving things on the table. Yeah. What, um, as a, as a parent, so one of the uh, overall themes of this <clears throat> show is everything you should have learned in high school, but didn't. Okay. Uh, thinking back, whether it's yourself, um, a senior at Lake Howell High School, a senior at Florida State University. Like, what are some things that you wish were taught to you at a younger age about life, about business, um, that just for whatever reason weren't, but you feel like if they were, it would have given you a, a competitive leg up on your peers? I, the first thing that comes to my mind, I think, is just it's never too early to start your career. Um, you know, I, I don't think I was ready in my 20s to do anything. Okay. I just wasn't. Yeah. Or focused, or I just thought, okay, well, that's for people that are older than me. You know, I don't need to buckle down that much yet. And granted, I had a good time in my 20s, but I think that if I would have focused more in maybe in my 30s or was more appreciative of, even though it was, the, it was the wild, wild west with mortgages, just to have been more appreciative of the income I was making rather than. Kind of taking a lot yeah, of fair attitude towards it where it was great yeah. and whether it lasted one more year. Or but lasted, it was too good to be true. Yeah. You know, I. Well, how about this one? I could have buckled down a little sooner in life, I think. Um, 
but I don't think yeah, I would but, change anything. Yeah. Um, how about this? As a parent, what are you teaching to your son? Either because it was taught to you and, and, and you find that lesson so valuable, you want to make sure you pass it along or something you teach to your son because it wasn't taught to you. And it maybe wasn't taught to you, not out of like, you know, neglect, but just because it wasn't either around or it wasn't a part of, of your parents' parenting style or what mm -hmm. they are exposed to. What, what are some things that you're teaching him that, um, that you know, you're, you're proud of and, and you want others to emulate? Well, financially, I don't know if I've taught him too much yet. He's, he's just turned 12, and I'd probably be remiss in my lessons because what he, you know, the, the amount of money he spends on, on his Xbox or on Fortnite, you know, don't coincide with the lessons I should be teaching him about the importance of money. Okay. <laughs> Cause I think he gets too yes. many gift cards to buy, yeah. buy new skins and buy Fortnite and this and that, but I think they buy advantages, but he, you know, advantages. But generally speaking, he understands uh, the importance of finances. He understands that his father went through a difficult time. So you shared that with him. Yeah. I love that. He does, you know, that. not, not, to scare him, but he knows that I went through some difficult times um, and how proud I am, I guess, of myself uh, when I come home that I can share with him that that everything's good. Um, he doesn't know in detail, you know, like, oh, my daddy, you know, had to give this away or had to give that away. But, you know, those are some things that we've, we've gen generically talked about. You know, he knows that... Um, that it was that there were times in the life in, in life that, that were yeah diseasy. it wasn't always right. what what he sees today that, yeah that there, there were times now, I love the fact that you don't you don't uh, shy away from that um, was that something that you felt like you got to witness as as a kid growing up where your parents openly and honestly spoke about personal finances so you were more willing to do so or they didn't therefore you're you're more willing to do so well growing up as a child I did see my parents struggle. You know, yeah. um, my dad was a teacher. My mom was uh, majored in, in home ec, and she taught. So they're both, you know, you know, teachers, and, yeah. and they went through some some, some challenging times too. Uh, so, you know, but they put three kids through college, and and everything is great, and they've been retired for the last ten years. But I remember as a child, you know, having some difficult times. Okay. Um, yeah, and I asked that one because there's there's certain people who, who come from backgrounds. We had a, a lady on the show by the name of uh, Christy Service. Her website is Credit Christy, and mm -hmm. she's actually developing a program where where you tap into your emotional, um, like financial child, like yeah. like and and she teaches that. You know, we are shaped financially sometimes as early as age four or age six, um, whether it's obviously at that age, you're not even knowing that you're being shaped. Um, so in some households, the, the, the catch is my parents never talked about finance and they shielded us from everything. Mm -hmm. And then there's others where people are, are, are shaped because of how they either were taught or right. what they witnessed. And now because of that, they are the, the way that they are. Um, I know we're getting close to time, but there's a couple questions that I, I, I want to get out. Um, again, advice given. Because I, mean, I, I look at you, you are the premier loan originator, right? And, and I, I say loan originator because, again, that's your title. That's what you do for a living. But I don't want to shy away from the fact that you would have been this successful in just about anything that you do because it's your approach, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's what you've learned. It's the fact that you consistently pick yourself up, consistently... Uh, strive for improvement. You are competitive, right? Competitiveness is obviously a quality or trait that people want to aspire to have, or, or they definitely want to um, embrace 
if they want to find success. But what advice would you have to anyone getting started in their career? Let's think sales career. Okay. Like three things that you want to throw out like, hey, if you want to be successful in sales, do X, do Y, do Z. What are those three things? I think the first thing is to get the word sales out of your mentality. Because to me, I'm not a salesman. Okay. You know, if, if it really involves a tangible product that might be a little bit different, but ultimately it boils down to relationships, confidence, and assertiveness and uh, how you handle yourself on a day-to-day basis. But a sales career to me is all I've ever thought about because I knew that I didn't want to be in an office where I had to just rely on a salary every year. For some crazy reason, I like challenging myself to having an open-ended income stream. And Yeah, it, and that it, never it, scared you. Oh, yeah, it scares me all the time. Excites you too? It scares the heck out of me. Yeah. Uh, it, it still does. I mean, but it, I, I don't think I'd have it any other way. I, I battle myself all the time going, okay, I wish I just had this crazy, crazy salary and I wouldn't have to worry about it again, but I don't. Yeah. So it, it, and that's the path I've chosen. And I'm glad because I do like that. I do like that I can uh, make what I want of myself um, in this particular career, given the efforts that I put into it. So, so, so quick con at sales. Yeah. Right? Cause people get foremost. scared. Most people are not natural born salesperson. I don't know too many. You might be <laughs> Dustin probably is. Uh, no, you know what? I'm an educator. <laughs> Like I, I've said my whole life, if if you could pay me what I make as a top producing loan mm-hmm. officer to go teach high school, I would. Right. If I won the lottery, I would go teach high school. I love to teach. Um, and that allowed me to pick up the phone and go out and yeah. network and market myself um, because I viewed it as I was just scheduling an appointment so someone could let me teach them. Mm-hmm. And someone could let me educate them. Or I also love to learn. And most educators are also students. So me scheduling an appointment was always okay. the ability to sit down with someone like yourself and ask you questions and learn from you and just be have my childlike curiosity take over. Right. Uh, but I do love, I've never heard someone say quit calling it sales. So quit calling it sales. I think so, unless you're comfortable with sales. If yep. you aren't comfortable with sales, then I think you should quit calling it sales because it's not sales. I mean... Mortgage is not. Insurance is not. I can't think of too many things that are. It, it's yeah. service and it's confidence and it's it's confidence and, and, and service. It really yeah. is because when I if I do present to uh, a new client, and granted I'm ten years in now, but I, I remember making the, the the switch six seven years ago. You know, before I have accumulated the knowledge that I even have now, because it, it does grow every day. But just to go in there, knowing that nobody else is going to be servicing them better than you can or qualifying their buyers better than you can or providing the service that whatever your industry provides can do better than you can. And I, and I just went in there and started with that mindset because you're not going to get everybody, but the people that are going to want to work with you are going to see that. And, and, it, and it exudes, when you exude confidence and you can uh, deliver that and convey that message, it, it's going to it's going to go, it's going to go far. Yeah. That um, confidence is, um, leads me to this follow-up question. Have you ever found a time that you weren't confident? Talking in front of big groups of people. Okay. <laughs> I'm not good at it. Uh, small groups I, on the spot. I think I'm pretty good. Um, but if, but if I had to said, plan for something for three days and get up in front of a panel, I, I, I think I'm okay with that now, but I, I guess that comes from, I'm not a good public speaker. Okay. But what does someone say? I mean, someone says to you, but Eric, gosh, I'm just not confident. Like you're telling me I need to give great service. I need to be confident. 
Um, is have you ever struggled with confidence? And 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 maybe the answer is no. Really haven't struggled with it. Or yes, and I've used this technique to at least um, pull the load of confidence I do have that's buried down out and amplify mm-hmm. it so that I could achieve the task ahead. Well, I think my way around uh, lack of self-confidence, which is cold calling, I guess, mm-hmm. cold calling to create a new relationship or to present a service um, that you would like for them to consider that has always been a challenge for me and i and i don't think it's i don't think it's not a challenge for anyone i don't know anyone who loves to cold call so my um my day-to-day activity has for the last eight nine years hasn't not has not involved any cold calling rather it is more of a, a warm call based on affiliated partners on a transaction that i might have closed the week prior whether it's the buyer's agent that's attached to the listing or vice versa, or a friend of the buyer that can recommend a past client or, or whatever the case may be. But I think, number one, don't think of it as sales. Think of it as relationship building and confidence uh, in, in your ability to deliver them a service that is going to help them in their lives, whether it's insurance or, or, or financial or a mortgage or otherwise. And then number two, you know, picking up the phone and calling a hundred people that you've never talked to before is a challenge. And you have to probably start that way if you're brand spanking new, but anything you can do to get around that by building off of your current network or center of influence has been a way for me not to have to go that route any longer. Awesome. So um, as we wrap up mm-hmm. one, thank you so much for taking you're the welcome. time to, to, to come down here and, and pull yourself away from your desk and your, your busy origination uh, pipeline. Um, why should someone choose Eric Cotter to walk them through their financing of their home purchase or the refinancing of their current home loan? Well, I would be honored if they did. Uh, I can ensure that in this particular process and under the operations that we have here at Waterstone, uh, the process will be as seamless and as professional um, as, as, as you can expect. Um, on a personal level, I can tell you that um, my, my commitment is to um, uh, provide you and your family um, all of the information that you need to make the best financial decisions possible. Um, and that in this particular case would be which type of loan do you want? You know, how much money should you put down? Am I better off leaving it in an investment that's earning more money than by putting a larger down payment down in a house? So a full... Um, you know, consultation comes with any transaction that's done. And I can certainly tell you that it's paid dividends uh, for me and the people that I've worked with throughout my years at Waterstone, that they find that, you know, very uh, appreciative and enjoy that part of the process. But we can certainly uh, ensure you that, you know, if we pre-approve your loan up front and we've done our due diligence up front, that you will get to the closing table and to the closing table on time. Awesome. Uh, If they want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? 407-645-6320, 407-645-6320, or you can visit my website, which is my name, ericcottermortgage.com. And that is Cotter with two T's and mortgage has a T. So E-R-I-C-C-O-T-T-E-R-M-O-T. No, M-O-R-T-G-A-G-E. Oh, oh gosh. Boy. Look at that. ericcottermortgage.com. ericcottermortgage.com. E-R-I-C-C-O-T-T-E-R-M-O-R-T. 
M-O-R-T-G-A-G-E.com. There you go. It is a mouthful. We've been in front of this mic and in front of that camera for a little bit too long. I appreciate the hell out of you, brother. Thank you You're so welcome. much for, for, for coming on the show and, and sharing your, your experiences and your story. He's Eric Cotter. I'm Dustin Owen. This is the Loan Officer Podcast, and we're out. Thank you.